The book of James in the New Testament has a really good word for us this morning. I'd like to begin with that. It's from chapter 1, verse 22. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. The, the, that great scholarly version, the Hawaiian pigeon version, puts it this way. And no one any list, only listen to the things God say now. You guys got to do them, because if you only listen, you're only fooling yourself. It's a good word, right? Especially we're going to re review the book of Daniel. How are you doing it doing, right? What are you going to carry out of the book of Daniel? This is review week, not only here and now together, but also home alone. Um, this week means... You need to take time to flip back through the book of Daniel this week. Remember what's been taught. Maybe glance over the notes that you copiously take during my sermons. Um, maybe your journal. Maybe you are a journaler and you write down what God's teaching you. Look back through those. Listen again to the Dwell app um, that's available for our church family. I listened to the entire book of Daniel yesterday uh, in just a little bit of time. But sometime this week, let me challenge you, sit down, take time, prayerfully remember what God has been saying to you through the book of Daniel and what your takeaway is from this study. And along that lines, I'd like to pray these verses from James 1 over us now as we open up the book of Daniel one last time. So bow with me if you would. Lord, in your kindness, help us be doers of the word and not hearers only. Lord, we are good at deceiving ourselves this way. Lord, help us not to be a hearer, be a doer. Not to be like a man who looks intently at his face in the mirror and then forgets what he looks like as soon as he walks away. Lord, help us look deeply into your good word, the law of liberty, and persevere. Being no hearer who forgets. Lord, help us be doers who act. Lord, we await your blessing in this doing. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So if you've been writing along with us in our study of Daniel since April, we've been in the book of Daniel, you know that the book of Daniel breaks into two big parts. Uh, chapters 1 to 6 are true stories about Daniel and his companions and their life, largely, while 7 through 12 are largely visions that were given to Daniel of things that are predominantly in the future from his time. And throughout the time today, I'm going to be flashing up images from this wonderful overview. I know that you can't see it because of the resolution very well up there, but a wonderful overview of the book of Daniel done by the Bible Project people. And I'll post that video. This is an excerpt from a video this week on our leader blog, along with a handful of other videos um, some that are for uh, maybe targeted good for our teens, another one's targeted good for our kids, and just a couple that are good for all of us. So check those out on <clears throat> social media and such this week, and we'll, you, you can be encouraged by those. But Daniel, we've said over and over again, was written for a suffering 
people taken captive by the empire of Babylon. So Daniel has a message for you when you suffer. It's written for people just like you. Some of you have friends who are greatly suffering. Perhaps one of the best things you could do for a friend who's suffering is to sit together and read together, chapter by chapter, the book of Daniel. Matter of fact, that may well be one of your takeaways. You have a suffering friend, and you could sit with them and read through the book of Daniel with them to encourage them. But today, as, as we walk back through the book, I want to do it by means of reminding you of three great pre- preeminent things about God that the book of Daniel teaches about, about who our God is. And then also three kind of prompts for you to think about what may be a takeaway for you out of the book. And I'd like to start us with who God is. Because if you remember, I proposed an alternate title to the book, the book of Daniel, that it could really be called the book of Daniel's God. And so let's look at three great traits that rise to the top of what Daniel teaches us about God. And the first of those is simply this. Daniel's God is supreme. Okay? Um, the early chapters of Daniel are littered with these contests between Daniel's God and the kings and the gods of the Babylonian Empire. Perhaps you remember them Uh, Chapter 1, there's a contest around, of all things, around diet. Um, This group of leaders were taken captive, Daniel among them. They're selected to serve their their captor king. And as a result, Daniel and company are put on this select training diet of the king's finest. But in verse 11 of the first chapter, Daniel says to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over, Daniel and his friends, Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink, and then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days, and at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. Right? So a 10-day test, and on greens and water, they get fatter than eating the king's rich food and drinking his wine, right? It's really not about the diet. It's about the God behind the diet, right? And Daniel's God is showing himself in this simple little opening test that he's supreme over all other gods. Um, just a couple verses later, it's a literal test, like a written test almost. In verse 20 of the first chapter, In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of Daniel and his friends, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. And again, it's not primarily about Daniel and his friends doing better on their comps. It's about their God and our God revealing his supremacy to all rival gods. You go to chapter 2, another contest. This time it's about the ability to interpret dreams. And if you remember, um, the, the thing was that the king wouldn't even tell him what the dream was. He was going to make his, his advisors tell him both the dream and the interpretation. And in verse 10, it says, The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. 
For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. And then you may remember how it turns out, a couple verses later, Daniel went to his house, made the matter known to his friends, told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night, and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Again, Daniel's God is supreme to all other gods. Only he can reveal the dream and its meaning. Chapter 3, it's the furnace contest, right? Um, Daniel's three friends are to be thrown into that overheated fiery furnace because they refuse to worship the gods of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar threw down this challenge to him. says, now if you are ready when you hear the sound of the orchestra, uh, fall down, worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And the three friends reply, If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fire furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And you remember how it turns out. They are delivered from that fiery furnace without even smelling like smoke. And again, our God is supreme to all other gods. Chapter 4, you could call it the rooftop contest, right? King Nebuchadnezzar, he's up on his roof. He's bragging about all of his great accomplishments. Uh, Verse 29, at the end of 12 months, Nebuchadnezzar's walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered, evidently he's talking to himself, and he said, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And while the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice from heaven came. And down a verse or two, it says, Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from among men, ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. And then Nebuchadnezzar himself declares the winner of this contest. In chapter 4, he says, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High. And praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? So clearly, in contest after contest after contest after contest... We're shown in the book of Daniel, our God, Daniel's God, supreme to all, over all other gods. The psalmist writes kind of a bumper sticker for us in chapter 135. He says, I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. So Daniel teaches us that our God is supreme. Secondly, he shows us that our God is sovereign. It's, it's an idea closely related to his supremacy. When we say he's sovereign, we mean that he reigns and he rules over all. And he's sovereign because he's supreme. 
So the book of Daniel goes to great lengths to show that Daniel's God rules and reigns over kings and empires. Uh, you remember the giant metal statue in chapter 2? Um, that's the whole, the whole point. Each metal represents an empire. Babylon was at the top and Medo-Persia was next, and then Greece, and then ancient Rome, and stretches into the future. But at the bottom, you see that rock. There's another, there's another kingdom that comes into the kingdom of men, and it destroys them all. Listen to how Daniel's final point is he interprets this statue vision that the king had. He said, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Daniel is showing us through this vision and others that our God is sovereign over the kings and empires of men, all of them. Even, even all of history, and if you can put it this way, even future history is under his sovereign rule. All the various visions of the book bear this out. So this statue in chapter 2, all those nations are yet future from Daniel's vantage point. The tree vision in chapter 4 that represents King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon's downfall, that's in the future. Um, the handwriting on the wall in chapter 5 that predicts King Belshazzar's downfall, that's the immediate future. It happens that very night. The four beasts in chapter 7, all future empires. The ram and the goat in chapter 8, future the mysterious 77s of chapter 9, future. The many kings of the north and south in chapter 11. It's an uncanny, ultra-detailed foretelling of what is yet future. In all of these visions, God is sovereign over the future empires of men. He decrees that they shall be and he decrees that they shall cease. Daniel's God rules and reigns over empires who are yet in the far distant future, even to the end of time itself. And he does this with stunning detail. You remember uh, chapter 11, all those detailed prophecies of ancient kings of the north and south, and by one count, they said that 135 historically verifiable prophetic fulfillments happened in the first 35 verses of Daniel chapter 11. It's stunning. Our God is the sovereign Lord of history, past, present, and future. Daniel himself said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings. He sets up kings. And we can add Job's voice to this. In Job 42, he says, Of God, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And add to Job's voice, the voice of the psalmist. He says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And again in Psalm 135, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven, on earth, in the seas, and all deeps. 
Daniel shows us that our God, he's supreme and he's sovereign. Okay, let me underscore one other trait, though there are many, many more about God in Daniel, um, and that is this. Daniel's God is merciful and loving. And this one is a bit more understated in Daniel, but it's pervasive throughout Daniel. Let, let me remind you of it. So in chapter 2, Daniel bets his life and the life of his friends on God's mercy. Look, look again at chapter 2. Daniel went to his house, made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. He does it again in chapter 9, except this time the fate of the entire nation rides upon God being merciful. He starts to pray in chapter 9, and this is what he says, I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Twice more in this chapter, in this prayer in chapter 9, he's going to ascribe mercy to God. In verse 9, it says, To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. Our God owns mercy, he says. You can make that great mercy. Because a little farther down in verse 18, he says, We do not present our pleas before you, God, because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. Even all those mysterious numbers, right? The 77s and the 1,290 days and the 1,355 days or however many there were to a merciful, they all point to the same thing, to a merciful decreed end to the suffering of the people of God. Here's an example from chapter 9. On the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. There's going to be an end. It's decreed by God of evil and suffering. And then chapter 12 ends this way. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. So there will be an end to evil and suffering for God's people. He has decreed it in his sovereign mercy. And at that end, there will be great blessing. You should count on it, hope in it, for God has promised it. So um, I said it was God's mercy and love. His, his love makes subtle but beautiful appearances in Daniel. I, I want to underscore a couple of them for you. That prayer in chapter 9 um, of confession, it's anchored in God's steadfast love for his people. Verse 4, I, I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And then not once, not twice, but three times Daniel is told not just that he is loved by God, but that he is greatly loved by God. Look, chapter 9. The angel says, I have come to tell to you, Daniel, for you are greatly loved. You skip down to chapter 10. Oh, Daniel, man, greatly loved. And just a few verses later, he says, oh, man, greatly loved. Fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. 
Daniel is greatly loved by God. Inescapable as you read the story. And Jesus says the same kinds of amazing affirmations about our being the beloved of God, being greatly loved by God. In John chapter 15, Jesus says this amazing statement. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. The way the Father loves his Son, Jesus loves you. And then just a couple verses, he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus loves us with the greatest of loves that's possible to love with. See, Daniel's God, our God, is full of mercy and love for Daniel and for us. The New Testament ties these ideas of mercy and love together beautifully when Ephesians says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you've been saved. So that's the God of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's a God of love and mercy. And they're both here in the book of Daniel's God, right alongside his supremacy and his sovereignty over all things. He's supreme, he's sovereign, he's merciful and loving. This is Daniel's God. This is your God. It's who he is. And so let's think about what kind of takeaways we should have from Daniel in light of us seeing and meeting that God on these pages. And hopefully this will prime the pump for you to think about what's my takeaway from the book of Daniel. So the first thing after encountering this kind of God is that uh, we really ought to be about the business of forsaking our sin. The book of Daniel makes that plain to us for a couple of different reasons one is just the severity of God's discipline when his people give themselves to sin Um, according to the very first verse of Daniel the whole mess that is the 70 year captivity to Babylon right is a result of God's people's sin this is how the book starts it says in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim king of Judah Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. The reason for the captivity is that God's people had given themselves to sin. And so God gave them over to Babylon as discipline. Um, It's a direct result of their sin. God's discipline is severe. And that's a really supreme reason to forsake your sin, lest, lest he bring that to bear on you. Now, the second reason to forsake our sin is the surety of mercy when you forsake it. When you confess your sin, you will be met by mercy. In chapter 9, soon as Daniel begins to pray for mercy, mercy is dispatched. Look at verse 23. The angel says to Daniel, At the beginning of your pleas for mercy a word went out and I have come to tell it to you for you are greatly loved it's like he barely gets the prayer started out of his mouth and mercy comes to him author Dane Ortland has written a delightful book um, on Christ called Gentle and Lowly and in there he quotes uh, a Puritan 
pastor named Thomas Goodwin, and he says this about Jesus. He says, Christ's own joy, comfort, happiness, and glory are increased by his showing grace and mercy in pardoning, relieving, and comforting his members here on earth. And then Ortland tells an illustration, a story to kind of illustrate that. He goes like this. He says, a compassionate doctor has traveled deep into the jungle to provide medical care to a primitive tribe afflicted with a contagious disease. He has had his medical equipment flown in. He has correctly diagnosed the problem. The antibiotics are, are prepared and available. He's independently wealthy and has no need of any kind of financial compensation. But as he seeks to provide care, those who are afflicted refuse the, the care. They want to take care of themselves. They want to heal on their own terms. And finally, a few brave young men and women step forward to receive the care being freely provided what does the doctor feel at that moment? Joy. His joy increases to the, decree, to the degree that the sick come to him for help and healing. It's the whole reason he came. And then he says, so with us and so with Christ. He does not get flustered and frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon with distress and need and emptiness. That's the whole point. That's what he came to heal. So when you come to Christ and forsake your sin, you will find mercy. He loves to answer the prayer for mercy. So it's your choice, right? You can experience his discipline or his mercy. Okay. Now, admittedly, his discipline is a kind of mercy, but the one is much more severe than the other. And coming up to the Lord's table today will give you a bit of time to confess any of those sticky sins that you are clinging on to. And when you do, you will receive mercy. So the book of Daniel urges us to forsake our sin. It also, as we've seen even today, just talking about it, it urges us to pray, right? Um, we've seen this in Daniel's example. Mercy comes when we pray, right? And we could also say, and we did say in chapter 10 when we looked at it, spiritual stuff happens when we pray. Mysterious things happen that otherwise might not happen. Back in chapter 2, dreams are revealed, lives are saved, right? Daniel's own life is saved when he and his friends pray. Again, look, look at the same passage again in chapter 2. Daniel's response, when Dan, Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to his friends, he told them, seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Daniel blessed the God of heaven. That's in response to their prayers. Chapter 10, you remember all those mysterious angels coming and going? Um, angels are dispatched when Daniel prays. Spiritual battles are engaged and won as Daniel prays. Um, chapter, 12, or chapter 10, verse 12, the angel says to Daniel, Fear not, Daniel. For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. 
the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. That's a demonic or dark angel spirit. Withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. And when we went through chapter 10 in some detail, we made these three observations. When God, God's people pray, mysterious and unseen actions are undertaken in the spiritual realm. At times, even angelic messengers are dispatched in response to your prayers. There likely is a correspondence between a burden to pray and behind the scenes, spiritual activity, even warfare. We also said that faithfulness in praying through a spiritual burden leads to victory in the spiritual battles being fought, even though we're often wholly unaware of them while they are taking place. So we persist in prayer because there are spiritual forces of wickedness that war against us and the messengers of God and the people that we love. When God gives you a burden for someone or some situation, it is an invitation to step into spiritual warfare on their behalf. We persist in prayer because when we pray, God releases his power in the spiritual realms in ways that we cannot see or know. What might be your next step forward in prayer? As we regain our balance here from um, the pandemic at North Wake, we restarted student ministry this morning. Um, that's happening. Um, we've also restarted our adult classes in Building 6, both hours. They're called Step Forward classes, and they look at core values of our church as, as mature and ministering worshipers of God. And one of those classes is going to be on equipping you in prayer. And uh, shameless plug, I'm going to teach it. It's on August the 8th. Um, and uh, if, if your takeaway from Daniel is prayer, you should come. It's offered both hours. And uh, figure out what your next step forward is in, in regard to prayer. Uh, one more takeaway, and this is a big one in Daniel. Um, we should persevere in hope even in suffering. Okay. We should persevere in hope even in suffering. And as I said earlier, Daniel was written specifically for a suffering people. And part of that message was that suffering was not going to stop anytime soon. So they needed to persevere because of a greater hope. And prophecies like those mysterious 77s of Daniel 9, they show suffering stretching all the way to the end of time for God's people. Daniel and his friends, they're exemplary in this matter of hopeful perseverance in things little and big, right? Um, little things like diet, we've already seen, they will not compromise. Daniel resolved in chapter 1 that he would not defile himself with the king's food. No compromise, even in little things. And in big things, even when their life is on the line, they're on the brink of that fiery furnace, right? And in verse 16 of chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answer and say to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. 
And Daniel's own life is threatened, right? As he's thrown into the den of lions because he will not compromise. In chapter 6, all the high officials of the land, all of them, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, will be cast into the den of lions. And you drop down to verse 10, and when Daniel knew that that document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. That is some unwavering, persevering, no compromise faith. So are you pretty steadfast in your following these days? Or are there places where you're compromising? You're giving in or giving up. Something knocking you off your rhythm, pressure from work, busyness that comes from trying to keep up, a great sorrow or a nagging disappointment or some chronic suffering. See, the book closes with a stunning declaration of our ultimate sure hope for us to cling to. Right? This, is, this is what we cling to. Chapter 12, verse 2. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, and some of them to everlasting life. See, even if those guys had died in that furnace, this hope would remain sure. Even if those lions would have devoured Daniel in that den, this hope remains sure. This hope always remains. You know, Jesus, when his friend Lazarus had died, like three days dead, died, um, had this to say about hope, even when you face your greatest sorrow. He said, he said to uh, Lazarus' sister, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? So for those of you who are suffering these days, and you're being pressed on your faith, you're asking questions, you're wondering what God is doing, see, this hope of resurrection, it's yours if you're in Christ. It cannot be taken from you. It's immovable. It's unlosable. It's undiminishable. It's sure in Christ. And it is worth persevering for. Our hope then is in Christ who did suffer for us to rescue us from our sins and who will rescue us from all suffering on that great resurrection day. When he brings us into a glory that's going to be worth it all. That's the language of the New Testament. It's going to be worth it all. Romans 8 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And this we must remember. This we must cherish and cling to and hope in. And I want us to remember it as we come to the Lord's table today at the close of the service. This is a chance for you to think back a little bit. What's God saying to you as we walk back through this book? What's he saying to you about what needs to follow you out of the book of Daniel, about who he is and about how you live? Um, this is also a, 
a grand invitation to forsake your sin, to confess it and find mercy in Christ that will help you be free from its grasp. So as we get ready to approach the table, uh, let me ask you to bow with me, and I'd like to read an, an, old, an old prayer of confession from long ago that helps us approach the table this morning. So bow with me, please. Merciful Lord, pardon all my sins of this day, week, year, all the sins of my life, sins of early, middle, and advanced years, of omission and commission, of morose, peevish, and angry tempers of lip, life, and walk, of hard-heartedness, unbelief, presumption, and pride of unfaithfulness to the souls of men, of want of bold decision in the cause of Christ, of deficiency in, the outs- in outspoken zeal for his glory, of bringing dishonor upon your great name, of deception, injustice, untruthfulness in my dealings with others, of impurity in thought, word, and deed, of covetousness, which is idolatry, of substance unduly hoarded, improvidently squandered, not consecrated to your glory, the great giver. Sins in private and in the family, in study and recreation, in the busy haunts of men, in the study of your word and in neglect of it, in prayer irreverently offered and coldly withheld, in time misspent, in yielding to Satan's wiles, in opening my heart to his temptations, in being unwatchful when I know him near, in quenching the Holy Spirit, sins against light and knowledge, against conscience and the restraints of your spirit, against the law of eternal love. Pardon all my sins, known and unknown, felt and unfelt, confessed and not confessed, remembered or forgotten. Good Lord, hear and hearing forgive for Christ's sake. Amen. The table this morning at North Wake is open to anyone who is a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ who's walking in fellowship with him. That is, you are willing to forsake your sins and come to this table to Christ and find mercy. Um, In just a few minutes, I'll ask you to approach the table and we'll use the side aisles and the center aisle to approach the table and these two to return to our seats. And I'd like to ask you, after you've received the elements, that you might hold them at your seat and we'll partake of them all together after everyone has been served. So, ready your hearts and uh, then you may come to the table and receive the elements.